0: Hello, I'm Max Louth and welcome to the latest edition of the UFO Insight podcast, where we examine all things UFOs and aliens, conspiracies and mysteries, and all aspects of the paranormal. Okay, today we will look at some of the many alleged UFO projects and programs said to exist behind the closed doors of equally secret military intelligence departments. And while we should treat each of these conspiracies with a pinch of salt, they are thought-provoking and intriguing nonetheless. If any of these prove to be even partially true, it would change how we see both the UFO and alien question, as well as the nature of our own reality. Black budget projects have been on the radars of conspiracy and UFO researchers for decades, and with good reason. It would appear like many conspiracy researchers' claims, these secret projects are each a single path that leads into many other dark areas of interest, not least of which is the recovery of crashed UFOs and contact with intelligence from other worlds. Many UFO researchers would zero in on Project Moondust, for example, for exactly that reason. In reality, however, and upon release of declassified government documents, it would appear that Moondust was using reports of UFOs from American civilians to recover Soviet satellites re-entering Earth over American territory. However, in a world of secrets within secrets, it would also appear that while this is most likely very true, those other reports would certainly go somewhere and there are very few who might have access to each of these apparently unconnected departments and projects, and more importantly their findings and data, would very likely see the dots and know how to connect them. Of course, many UFO researchers remain suspicious that the Moondust documents released to the public do not paint the full picture. In fact, they might suggest it paints a decisively false one. We know that this information is rampant in conspiracy and especially UFO circles, and while a necessary evil to try to get to the truth, which in itself is often become subject to a matter of perception. Retired US Army Sergeant Clifford Stone would request several documents as part of the Freedom of Information Act, and although the releases would appear to suggest satellite recoveries, a little further study would suggest that declassified files are a cover-up in themselves. One of the incidents, for example, occurred when a strange object crashed in the woodlands of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania in September 1965. The case is one of the most well-known in UFO history, and one very much open to debate regarding the official story. The files also speak of a recovered satellite in Sudan in 1967, a recovery that came under the Moondust Umbrella. However, most other reports at the time, and from investigations since, suggest that what crashed to the ground in August 1967 in Sudan was not a satellite. On the evening of August 17th, according to local media at the time, came the recovery of a cube-shaped satellite in the desert around 50 miles from Khutum. The object was of unknown origin, and made from soft metal cubes, which themselves were wrapped in a silky material. Whatever material it was made from, it must have been heat resistance to around 3,000 degrees to survive the re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. Perhaps strangest of all was the report that the mystery object weighed three tons. According to Sputnik News, there were several UFO sightings over the Himalayan mountain region in early 1968, including some which crashed to the ground. According to the declassified files obtained by Stone, US authorities recovered four of them, all under the guise of Project Moondust. On February 19th, a little after 9pm over northeastern Nepal, came reports of a bright object moving with great speed across the sky. The object was a long oval shape, and rays of red and green were clearly visible from it. Several seconds after the sighting, however, came a loud thunder sound, following which the object was no longer visible. Two nights later on the 21st, at a similar time, came a sighting over the capital city of Bhutan. According to the report, the object was completely silent as it moved and glowed a bluish colour. It appeared to have emerged from the mountainous regions of Tibet. On March 4th came a similar sighting of a glowing white object flying over an Indian Air Force base. The incident occurred in broad daylight at 1pm. Shortly after the sighting, came two blasting sounds, which were followed by the sight of white smoke. Three weeks later, again over Nepal on March 25th, came the sighting of a huge metallic disc. It was around six feet across and four feet in height, and was discovered in a small crater. Another witness was told of seeing white light go streaking across the sky before hearing two blasts and seeing white smoke. The details are almost a match of the apparent crash near the Air Force Base. Although the exact date is uncertain, sometime in 1968 came the recovery of a dome-shaped object from under the waters off the coast of Cape Town in South Africa. Despite the extreme heat the metallic object was undoubtedly exposed to, there were no signs of damage to its exterior, nor were there any signs of corrosion. According to the results of studies conducted by NASA, the mysterious object was constructed from pure aluminium. Furthermore, the ultimate findings were that their studies provide no clues to the origin or function of the object. The recovery of yet another similar object from an unknown desert somewhere in South America occurred during 1970. According to the report, locals recalled seeing a metallic sphere come falling out of the sky before vanishing from sight. There were then three loud explosions. Further still, by the time U.S. authorities reached the wreckage five days later, it was still burning. They discovered several pores that had melted shut due to the intense heat. In May 1970 in Bolivia, newspaper reports would tell of a metal egg-shaped object that fell out of the sky. U.S. authorities would offer to assist the Bolivian military in their recovery of the object. What the object actually was is not on record, nor is where it would end up. The person behind the release of the aforementioned documents, Clifford Stone, not only has a history in the United States Army, he claims to have been part of several of these recovery missions, and what's more, their findings, which often included the bodies of non-human entities, remained secret. He would state before his death in 2014 that while they were carrying out such missions, they were telling the American public that there was nothing to it. And not just the American public, but the rest of the world, whose own governments, he claimed, would act in kind. Stone would claim he would receive training in the Nuclear Biological and Chemical Weapons Crisis Response Team. There was no mention of UFOs when such recovery missions came up, however. The person would be handpicked by somebody to be a part of the team, and that somebody wasn't an Army official. Stone would further state that the debriefing to these missions was always along the lines of recovering a Soviet spacecraft or stealth aircraft. On numerous occasions, it was perfectly obvious to Stone and every other member of the unit that what they were dealing with was not Soviet. Furthermore, it was most likely not terrestrial at all. Stone would also state that it wasn't the intention of Project Moondust to recover UFOs. However, as such vehicles would fall under its remit, they often did so, and they carried out their work under the guise of recovering Soviet or their own secret technology. Stone would further state that anyone who saw the crafts knew better. From the information volunteered by other whistleblowers, if we accept them as genuine, we know there are more elite teams of recovery units put together for that sole purpose, and ready to move at a moment's notice regardless of their location. It would seem then that Project Moondust, which has its roots in the 1950s, served as a safety net. During that time, the UFO craze was just gaining ground throughout the American populace. The realities of the Cold War, on the other hand, were beginning to hit home solidly. It is highly likely that these projects genuinely began to seek out such Soviet technology. At the same time, however, they would manage to capture any other UFO debris, such that might have otherwise remained unknown to them. They would use the public's heightened fear of aliens from outer space to curl two birds with one stone. It also perhaps allowed them to identify certain military personnel who would be of use for future projects. Projects that highlight the connections, crossovers, and indeed false trails. Trails that manage to hide the truth, sometimes in plain sight. One of these alleged other missions, however, stands out among the many. Project Serpo, according to their claims, would see a dozen human beings take part in an intergalactic exchange programme, one where they would find themselves in another galaxy in the name of research and relations. What's more, this project dates back to the beginnings of the modern age of UFO incidents and the infamous Roswell crash. Perhaps, when the beginnings of Project Serpo are taken into account, it explains the bizarre and shoddy way the military would deal with the press releases at the time. There is a strong argument that the admission-retraction fiasco was a means of creating a distraction, a double bluff of sorts. The information on Project Serpo comes courtesy of an anonymous retired high-level employee of the United States government. He would send the information to a UFO discussion group, itself headed by former U.S. government employee Victor Martinez. If the U.S. government allowed a certain version of events to enter the mainstream, events they were publicly in opposition to, then that might imply that the reason was to create a buffer between the real details of the Roswell incident and what the public believed to be true. According to the claims, two alien craft came crashing to Earth that evening over the desert outside of Roswell. The second craft, however, would lay undiscovered until some time in 1949. The military would achieve much more than just an alien craft, though. The wreckage of the first Roswell crash contained not only the crew members, but a surviving alien pilot. According to the anonymous source, the surviving extraterrestrial was found hiding behind a rock. After declining food from the military, it accepted and drank water before it was transferred to a Los Alamos base. Including the surviving being, a total of six extraterrestrials would make the journey, the dead aliens going into the recently developed Deep freeze storage. Whether the alien's decision to accept water is of any importance is unknown, but it does suggest, assuming the source's story is true, that these extraterrestrials, at least in this instance if only in part, share some biological and genetic makeup with ourselves. The creature would live for five years under the supervision of the United States military before its death in 1952. According to the source, a technological device of the evens allowed these talks to proceed in English. The Ebens wished to retrieve their fallen pilots. The US military had kept these beings in biological storage following their studies of them. The Ebens would indeed take their dead crew home. More than that, though, the two sides agreed a bizarre exchange program. A program that would see twelve American military members leave with the Ebens on their return journey. A single Eben would remain with the Americans throughout the program. The top-secret mission left Earth in 1965 on their way to the planet Serpo in the Zeta Reticuli star system. Incidentally, Serpo was the crew's name for the planet. The Ebens referred to it as Eben. Twelve military members would make up the crew for the mission. Two members each from the Navy and Army ranks, along with eight members of the United States Air Force. According to the source who would years later leak information of the mission, each of the 12 crew would have their identity erased from all records, both civilian and military. They literally ceased to exist overnight. Even after selection, the 12 crew would undergo six months of intensive, invasive, and secretive training. This would also include learning how to use the communication device so they would be in contact with Earth. The mission was to last 10 years, upon which they would return to Earth. However, communication would prove to be difficult, with many technical difficulties arising. Five years into the mission, Earth lost communication completely. Fearing the entire unit dead or trapped somewhere in space, the mission was close to abandonment. Then, out of nowhere, communication would open and the crew, at least the surviving members, returned to Earth in 1978. Of the 12 people that made the journey to Serpo, only 8 would return. Two of the original members had died during the thirteen years they had been away. Another two members had opted to stay on the planet. The eventual top secret report runs to over three thousand pages in length and contains some remarkable detail. As far as most researchers are aware, no leaking of the actual report itself has ever taken place. All eight of the returning crew members would enter strict quarantine for a year. While there, they informed their superiors of their experiences and findings. The journey to the Eben's home, some 39 light years away, had taken only 9 months. Two moons flanked the planet, whose days were the equivalent of 43 hours long. The heat of the planet would prove to take the most adapting to, and was bordering on extreme for human beings. The human crew finally settled in the planet's uppermost northern region, where the climate was better suited. Further, according to the anonymous source, the crew would speak of time being the key difference between humans and the Ebens. They didn't judge or account for time in the same way humans would. Their daily lives would revolve around the movement of the central sun. All of the Ebens' food came from large biodome-like structures which they would grow and harvest themselves. They were the only intelligent life on the planet, and while other animal life forms did exist, the Ebens did not at all associate them with food. The Ebans themselves would most often live in small communities, relatively spread out from each other. While order very much existed within these communities, crime was not an issue, nor was money. Distribution centres existed in places of shops, with goods and produce issued upon request. Not all aspects were different, however. The family unit as we know it exists among the Ebans, as does the desire for entertainment, music and team games. All eight of the crew who returned from Serpo would suffer a lifetime of illness in the following years. This is thought to be due to exposure to radiation during the space flights. Radiation was something that the Ebens apparently were immune to. According to the anonymous source, the last surviving member of the mission died in 2002. So, what to make of such bizarre and off-the-wall claims as Project Serpo? They are not the only claims of interaction between aliens and top-level persons of the world's governments, not to mention secret CIA time-travel experiments and even alien-human hybrids. These claims arrive with various levels of evidence, and many of them come from people who have held very high-level positions in governments or militaries. With no surviving members or any documentation to back up the claims, however, most dismiss the claims of Project Serpo unreservedly. Are they correct to do so? While it might be best to keep the account on the back burner for now, it shouldn't be cast away completely. Of all the claims of secret space programs, perhaps one of them might one day prove to be Project Serpo. There is, however, even stranger alleged projects. According to some conspiracy theorists, in 1952 members of the NSA and CIA would form a loose consortium of minds and influence, which would operate under the name Project Sigma. The purpose for such a discreet organisation was to utilise the recovered UFO technology to establish contact with extraterrestrials. After targeting a suspicious group of asteroids, a secret transmission signal was sent in their direction using the reversed engineered alien technology, and what's more, a reply was relatively imminent. As a result of this transmission, two different races of alien are claimed to have made offers to humanity through President Eisenhower and his representatives. While an eventual deal was reached with the Greys, the occupants of a suspicious group of asteroids, another meeting took place with a race referred to as the Nordics, or according to the apparently leaked documents, the Blues. The Blues, it is claimed, informed Eisenhower that the Greys had a formidable force of large ships on the outskirts of the solar system, and what's more, they were intentionally locked into an equatorial orbit of the Earth. While not offering the type of technology that Eisenhower was seeking, they did offer ways to achieve clean and free energy, and spiritual learnings to advance humanity. They also warned Eisenhower not to enter into any deal with the Greys. According to them, they served only themselves. If the conspiracies are correct, it was advice Eisenhower ignored. According to the claims of the alleged 1954 deal with the Greys, they were happy to share technology with these human representatives, but they required unrestricted access to human DNA so that they could develop a human-Grey hybrid in order to combat their own DNA's extreme degradation. Some researchers and abductees claim that the Greys can no longer reproduce without access to human beings, in particular female humans who act as incubators. The Greys would promise no harm would come to any citizens who were tested, and furthermore, no memory of the abductions or procedures would be available to them. In theory, especially given the apparent perceived threat that such a deal would be offered to the other superpower of the planet at the time, the Soviet Union, the agreement appeared the right thing to do, and at the very least, workable, particularly if such advanced technology could benefit the rest of the country, and in turn, the world. There were, however, several conditions to this apparent deal. As well as access to the world's population, the greys would require several more things of their earthly hosts. For example, the United States must never reveal the presence of the greys on the planet, nor must they reveal such a deal was in place. Despite the promise not to harm any of the population, their operations were not to be questioned by humanity, and there would be no interference whatsoever. According to the leaked documents, the greys would only take a limited number of abductees, and furthermore, lists of those for testing would go to the United States shadow government for approval. Perhaps more interestingly, were the apparent requirements of the greys. The United States military, using advanced technology that they would be provided with, would construct several underground bases. These bases would house a combination of human and grey personnel, and would be top secret, to the point of absolute denial of their existence. These bases were only in certain parts of the United States at first. It would appear, however, that construction became rampant. Some claims state there were nearly 30 such bases around the US alone. While most dismissed that such a meeting even happened, Gerald Light would claim to have been in attendance. He would even write of his observations during his two-day stay at the base. He would claim that the reports of such an event were devastatingly true. Lightwood further states to have seen five separate and distinct types of aircraft, all of which were being studied by the military. Our next apparent top-secret programme, though, is even more outrageous. Without a doubt, one of the most intriguing claims of secret space programmes are those of Project Red Sun and we should note that most people believe the claims to be nothing more than false information or even a hoax. They are, however, extremely interesting. In September 2016, NASA scientist Jeffrey Sheehy, who is a senior technology officer of NASA's Space Technology Mission Directorate, stated that although the technology did exist to reach Mars as far back as the 1970s, the technology to maintain a human presence on the Martian surface just simply didn't exist. Some people, however, believe that only the first part of that statement is true. Around the same time, Italian UFO researcher Luca Berlow released a report of a manned mission to Mars back in 1973. He claimed that the information had come to him via whistleblower and pilot on the alleged mission, William Rutledge. There had been several information gathering missions to Mars between 1970 and 1972, according to Rutledge. All launched from secret locations in South America and were joint efforts between America and the Soviet Union. The 1973 mission's sole purpose, though, was to land on the Red Planet. The crew consisted of Rutledge, an American astronaut, and a Soviet cosmonaut. Shortly after this release of information by Scanton Burlow, a three-minute piece of footage appeared on the internet. It claims to be leaked video of the 1973 mission to Mars aboard the ISV Columbus. While the footage is in all likeliness a hoax, it does have an air of authenticity about it. At the very least, it is impressive footage regardless of where it came from. As for the claims made by Rutledge, perhaps his response to being the whistleblower sums it up best when he said, what can NASA or the United States Air Force do now? Blocking or suing me would be an acknowledgement. They can speak of hoax or fiction. Although considerably less credible than Rutledge and Burlow, a woman known only as Jackie claimed live on air on Coast to Coast Radio in 2014 that she had seen with her own eyes humans on Mars in 1979 while she had been an employee with NASA. Her job was to download streaming data, describing herself as being part of NASA's downstairs team. She claimed that via a live feed she witnessed men in spacesuits walking on the surface of the Red Planet. Although Jackie claimed that a further six NASA employees also witnessed this event, no one stepped forward to back up her claims. It has been a long-running rumour that NASA and other such bodies are vastly further ahead than they admit. Their capabilities in space travel and technology are arguably far beyond what the public realises. It isn't too much of a stretch of the imagination to think that perhaps these types of missions were going on in secret. What we should make of all and any of these conspiracies is very much open to debate. As we mentioned at the start, such claims have to be treated with a pinch of salt. What if there is, though, even the tiniest element of truth to any of these accounts? What would that mean to how we view the world around us and indeed the possibilities of things we thought were still many light years away? There is certainly a lot to think about. However, for the time being, proof of these projects and programmes remains elusive. For now though, I will simply thank you for joining me and be sure to leave any thoughts in the comments and check out the links for any further reading on some of the cases and theories we have been discussing here today. Remember to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media to keep up to date on future podcasts, articles and videos. And if there is anything that you want us to feature on a future podcast episode, simply get in touch with me at marcus at ufoinsight.com. Until next time, goodbye and take care.